Welcome to The Bee Podcast. The mission of The Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age group to have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey, to listen to stories similar and different than our own, engage in each other's triumphs and failures, hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled, the loss we have endured, the joy we have encountered, and the reason behind the lessons we have learned. Bees symbolize community, personal growth, and power. And that is what we aim to do here. Create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Cami Milliken, and this is The Bee Podcast. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Bee Podcast. This week marks the beginning of September, which is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, and Jessica McCurney shares her story as a mother of a child with cancer. Awareness of this awful disease begins when people tell their stories. Today, Jessica does just that. She describes herself as a type A personality, planner, list maker, doer. She's been a nurse practitioner since she was 25 and had her life planned out to a T since before she graduated high school. As life would have it though, Jessica's world was shaken to the core when she noticed something strange on her son's arm. As an NP, her heart sank. In that moment, she describes how she knew exactly what they were about to face, something that was not in her plan for their lives at all, childhood cancer. Please listen as she shares her inspirational story. Hi, everyone. I am here with Jess McCurney. Jess and I go way back to the good old OHS. Jessica, thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm good. I'm really happy to be here and talk to you. I'm very excited that you're here because you have such an incredible story as a mother, and I just am so excited for everyone to hear it. So let's kind of dive in. Tell us just a little bit about who you are. Who am I? Um, Grew up in Ottumwa. You know, Kyle lived there since he was pretty young, so graduated class of 07 here. Kyle moved up here after he graduated from Hills, and I moved up here back in 2012. Yes, 2012. I mean, I've always been kind of like a type A personality. I had a plan. I was going to check off the boxes. I always, you know, very organized type of personality. So I just had a way and a timeline of things I wanted to do things. And, you know, we've kind of always followed that. So we got engaged. We got married in 2015. We had, you know, two kids, two under two. Hudson was born in 2017. And then Violet was born in November of 2018. So they were about 20 months apart. Uh, very wild, spirited, crazy, energetic children. And then that Hudson got diagnosed in March of 2019, um, just before his second birthday. And yeah, that kind of brings us to here. Yeah. And I mean, just having two kids under two, I mean, you, you beat me a little bit. I had two kids two and under. So that was just a real ride, but God bless you. And God bless me. <laughs> they're so exhausting. They're so great. They are. they are, but there's you're right. They're great, but they're exhausting. And then, mm-hmm, which leads you to a sleep app that you purchase on your app store. Fine. So, all right. So Jessica, um, so you currently work as a nurse practitioner, correct? Correct. Yes. I've been a practicing okay. nurse practitioner for five years now. Which is incredible. So you really did check off all of those boxes and you got it done by the time you were 25. Is that right? Is that yes. what you said? Okay. Yes. So you got it done. I mean, dang girl, that is, that's impressive. Thank yeah. you. I mean, yeah, it was absolutely. exhausting. Like, I'm not sure how I managed to do that pre-kids, but yeah, I did it. I was going to do it before I turned 25 and check, check box checker, which is, I mean, so crazy because of the turns that your life took, you know, soon after. So mm-hmm. 
let's start at the beginning. So start about, or tell us a little bit about um, starting a family and what that looked like for you and your husband, Kyle. So we knew we wanted our kids close. Um, so we kind of mentally prepared for that. And then I was always, if you know Kyle, he's totally like chill, relaxed, doesn't usually get worked up over anything. And then I'm on the complete opposite end where I'm very, like I said, type A, high strung, helicopter mom. I'm going to be the mom that like tries to be super involved and almost controlling. I mean, that's just like my personality. So going into parenthood, it was great because we balanced each other out. And then, you know, we had Hudson and everything was going great. And then Violet came into the picture and we thought for sure Hudson was going to be like this territorial, like brother that likely was going to try and like throw her down the stairs. But then, <laughs> I mean, if you know him, that's totally what you'd think. <laughs> but he, I mean, it was just amazing. We saw Hudson in a whole new way. And mm -hmm. he just became this, the most like empathetic little toddler who couldn't stand when his sister cried. He shared all of his toys, like complete opposite of what you could imagine. So then, you know, your heart is even fuller than you could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. And we knew Hudson was like this spirited wild child. And we're like, the second one has to be easier. And like, right. <laughs> right. I mean, you pray, you, know, you hope. I know. Like, we're like, she might sleep more there's a chance she kind of did at the beginning. And then like her true personality started coming out. Dang it. <laughs> also spirited. <laughs> but no, that's, I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way now. Right. I'm super glad that they're, they're close, but so I don't know that we've slept since the day Hudson was born, but we're surviving. Yeah. And thriving and your children are loved and they know unconditionally they know that so that's awesome you're doing you're you are you're killing it so for siblings they usually are pretty well together you know but violet's learned to fight back and yeah she just doesn't put up with it right good for strong her woman strong woman <laughs> independent don't need yeah. no man <laughs> especially your big brother right yeah no for now at least <laughs> yeah that's awesome so then jessica i mean your life moved very quickly i mean you you did what you wanted to do um, then you planned on having children, you had your sweet babies, and then all of a sudden things kind of took a crazy turn. So can you talk about how you knew that something was just not right with Hudson before he turned two years old? So this is when I've never been more thankful to work in medicine Yeah, because it was mid-February and we were playing in our toy room and I just like looked at his forearm and I saw what's called petechiae, which looks like you kind of took a pen and put a few little specks on his forearm, which most people have never, ever noticed that. But I saw that and it really caught me off guard because, I mean, I know my kids. I know there was no injury. He hadn't been sick. It wasn't a viral type of rash because kids get rashes for every kind of reason. Right. So I saw this petechiae and immediately thought, Hudson has leukemia. I know he has leukemia. And so I vividly remember texting Kyle and I was like, Hudson has petechiae. Do not Google what this means. And he's yeah. like, well, I Googled it. Do you know? It? I mean, it can mean like leukemia. I'm like, Kyle, I told you not to, but I think he has leukemia. And of course, you know, Kyle is just like, no, no, it probably, you know, he probably like hurt his arm, like jumping off the couch would make total sense or something like that. So petechiae usually means like you have really low platelets, which is what helps you clot. So it's like bleeding okay. under the skin. Oh, and that's one of the um, cells that completely are wiped out with cancer. So then I knew with leukemia, they run like low grade fevers a lot. 
So for the next few nights, I kept monitoring his temperature and he did, sure enough, had like these low grade fevers, which could be confused with teething because he's getting molars. But again, because he's so young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I still thought that was odd. And then I had even like a couple of weeks before that, I was like, you know, the under underneath his eyes looks a little darker to me, Kyle. Like, wonder if he's just, his iron's a little low or something. And I thought his, I remember saying, you know, his diet even seems a little different. Like his appetite's changed, which toddlers, I mean, again, that can be totally normal. Mm-hmm. But what people need to know is the signs of childhood cancer seem like signs of any kind of like viral illness, or they can just seem like teething or anything like that. But it was just, I knew the signs and I wish that more parents did. So then I uh, noticed a bruise, which again, toddlers get bruises, which is what many people told me when I voiced my concerns that he's a crazy boy, he's going to have bruises. But I noticed one on his toe and I could tell you the cause of every scratch or bruise or anything on that child. And I said, no, I know he didn't hurt his toe. And I noticed one just a faint one on his forehead, which again, I mean, kids get much worse than that, but I was like, no, he didn't hit his head. And so I, I voiced it to even, you know, family and friends and coworkers in the medical field. And only two people I can recall really validated me. Most of them just said like, you're crazy. You're paranoid. Stay off Google. Kids get bruises. He's fine. And no, finally I called our nurse practitioner, Tina, who we love and we had a great relationship with. And we talked to our nurse, Becky, who we always work with. And we got an appointment and I said, I want a CBC, which is the blood work that shows all of their blood counts. I said, I want a CBC. I think Hudson has leukemia. And at the time, I mean, he really didn't look awful to someone else, you know, who doesn't see him all the time. And she told me she would, so I would sleep at night because she knows I'm that anxious mom who just wouldn't sleep and would probably like continuously call her office. Well, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so she drew it, which thankfully, I mean, I'm so happy that we had that relationship with her and she actually used to be a peds oncology nurse. Oh, wow. So, like that's not a coincidence. Right. You know? Yeah. And she ordered the labs and I remember, you know, we went and we got the lab done, which I, I just remember feeling so much relief after we had that lab drawn. Like we left the hospital. I'm like, Kyle, I just feel so much better. Like finally I have what I need. Like, to get our results and to get this treatment going. Yeah. And about an hour later is when Tina called me with the results. And so when you received the results, how did you respond to that information? So Kyle went back to work. It was his last day at his job. Of course, like the timing's never great to have cancer, but like it just was so not ideal. So he went back to his last day at Genesis where he used to work. And I came home with the kids and I was standing in the kitchen and I saw they were calling like Hudson's like walking around with an open pudding container, dropping it on the normal. Yeah. yeah. It's three months old. Oh my gosh. So I'm probably like walking around, like nursing her and like opening a pudding or something. Yeah. And so she called and I knew when I heard Tina's voice, the nurse practitioner that I'm like, this is, this is bad. Normally it's not Tina who's going to be calling me, especially if they were normal. And so she said, you know, Jessica, you know, are you at home? And, you know, I remember her asking like, where, where's your husband? Are you sitting down? Where is Violet? Are you holding Violet? You know, set Violet down. What is Hudson doing? And it was just like, Tina, like, what, what's happening? And she just said, well, we got his results and they're abnormal. And that was like, it got a little fuzzy at that point because 
I mean, you know, that feeling where everything just kind of sinks out of you and you're shaking and want to vomit and your heart is just like pounding out of your chest. And I am standing in the kitchen and Hudson's laughing at me and I'm just like sobbing, but yelling at her on the phone. And I just went into this panic of, well, first I wanted the lab results, wrote all the numbers down. You know, I had my notebook ready. And then I started screaming at her like, he cannot die. He cannot die. Oh my God, he's going to die. Tina, he's going to die. He has cancer. I know he has cancer. And she said, you just, his hemoglobin is five. And to put that into perspective, normally it sits now between like 11, 12. Yeah. And she said, anything less than eight, he needs a blood transfusion. Oh, you need wow. to go to the University of Iowa, pack your bags at least for a week, get to the university. They're expecting you. And I said, what floor are we going to? She said, the 11th floor. I said, what is that? And she said, it's the oncology hematology floor. And I was still just screaming at her on the phone. Like he, he can't die. And she's crying, you know, because she knows me, the nurse knows me, like, you know, we'd known each other for almost two years. And I I don't even know how I got off the phone with her other than I just remember saying like, he's going to die. He's going to die. He's going to die. I think that was probably all that I ever said to her. And then got off the phone, called Kyle and you know, he said, hello. And I said, you have to leave. You have to leave work right now. Run out of work, right? Hudson has cancer. He's going to die. <laughs> and oh my gosh. I hear Kyle yell to someone like, gotta go. And he just sprints out of work. And, you know, he's crying in the car right home. And I'm trying to like tell him what Tina just told me. And he, you know, he was so confused and couldn't quite comprehend, but he knew it was real now. And so he's speeding home and I'm trying to watch these two kids while having to pack a bag for a week for our family to rush out of here because Hudson needs a blood transfusion. And I go upstairs and I call our friend Sherry, who writes a lot of the Caring Bridge posts that you've seen. And she, she was one of the, the people that validated me. She believed me. She knew. She's battling cancer, cancer herself. And, you know, she, she never doubted me. And I called her and I said, Sherry, he, he has cancer. Like Hudson has cancer. He has leukemia. Like I, they just called. We have to go now. She walked out of work, stayed with me on the phone. And she was the calmest I've ever heard someone. She just said, where's Violet? What is she doing? Where is Hudson? Is he sitting down? Where is, you know, walking me through all these things and trying to tell me what to do? Because at that point you can't function. I'm just screaming. And she's trying to make sure that the kids are safe and that Kyle is aware of what's going on. She, so I start packing a bag and poor Kyle packed him a pair of underwear, maybe for a week. (laughs) (laughs) I had enough for like three Uh, weeks. Kids had enough. They could have survived like six months, the hospital with clothing. Kyle got a pair of underwear. Right. And well, (laughs) XOXO Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still just. You're hysterical. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I had no idea what to pack. Also like, oh, you have to pack snacks for kids and water. And what else do we pack? You know, as Hudson looks perfectly, you know, stable in our house. Kyle walks in upset, as you can imagine. I'm trying to, again, fill him in on what's going on because I can hardly give him any details. You know, I mean, we didn't really know any other than Mm -hmm. we knew he was critical blood work. And Sherry gets here and we load everyone up and Sherry drove us to Iowa City so we could follow her because... I don't even know if we could have figured out how to get to Iowa city at that point. And so on the way there, I call Tina again, yeah. and this goes back to like my personality type. 
I was like, Tina, I need you to give me factual information right now. I need objective data. I need a list of your differentials of other than leukemia, what this could be and what are the chances of this happening? And she was wonderful. And you know, told me, you know, sometimes it could be like autoimmune issues or viral issues, you know, other, you know, causes for these labs to be abnormal. And so we finally get there and we get up to the 11th floor and you walk in and the secretary just goes, you must be Hudson. Uh, started. And you just walk through this hall and you see these wonderful nurses who are, I mean, you talk about angels, it's those nurses. And I remember a nurse telling us just recently, cause she wouldn't have told us then, she said, you know, we see a lot of kids come up here and we remember, we vividly remember seeing Hudson come down the hall and think, yep, he has cancer. He, he looks like he has cancer because they, you know, they so often. They're used to it. They, yeah, yeah they see yeah. it. And she said, she'll never, the nurse said, she'll never forget. She wasn't his nurse that night, but all she saw Hudson's nurse do that first night was blood transfusions and platelet transfusions to stabilize him. That's all she could accomplish was giving him blood. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. Jessica. So you get into this room at the University of Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital, which is amazing. And you were just swarmed, swarmed by people. I mean, and again, here's our three-month-old that, you know, coming along with us who's exclusively breastfed that's probably like starving at this point. But Kyle is handling the Hudson part of it. You know, they immediately took him to the treatment room, got an IV started, prepping him for blood. I mean, they were not wasting time. And I, they like sat me down in this chair and it was just, you're swarmed by the oncologist and the fellows and the docs that are on. And Dr. Terry, who's one of the oncologists that was on, he's a tumor doctor, but he came in and said, I'm just gonna listen. You go ahead and tell me, start from the beginning. And I explained the petechiae and I had a very detailed timeline, as you can imagine. Right, of course. <laughs> like down to what his temperature was that morning. Like I could give you all of those details and I did. And he stopped me and he said, what do you do? Because most people don't come in here and say petechiae. Mm-hmm. Well, I work as, a, as an MP, but not, not in oncology. I <laughs> just, you know, and from then on, I mean, it was just like, here's the consent for blood transfusions. You know, we're going to need to do these to stabilize him. And I mean, it is just like a rush around that you can hardly comprehend even what's going on. Meanwhile, Hudson still doing great over here. You know, he's just happy child has no idea what's about to happen for him, although he had to have felt like complete garbage, but you'd never know it. I mean, he was scaling Violet's crib that morning. Yeah, right, of course. <laughs> like most kids are like really sick and lethargic and just wiped out, you know, he was still, I mean, that's just how he is. Well, and we talked a little bit before in a previous conversation about how, I mean, how lucky he is to have had you as a mother, a nurse practitioner as a mother who sees, you know, is educated in the signs of childhood cancer and can know these things. And you monitored that fever and you, I mean, you had, you know, all these steps again that you took all these boxes that you checked and then you knew like something's not right. So what a gift that is for Hudson in that normally people who aren't like parents who aren't necessarily in medicine don't have, I mean, they have to wait until their child is, you know, really, really sick to know that there's something wrong, but you were able to find those, you are able to identify those signs and what they meant. And so you have to be the reason that you have to have saved his life, Jess. I mean, I hope so. I hope, you know, in the long run, that is the, and I, 
I mean, I'm proud of myself for recognizing that because again, you know, signs of childhood cancer are not taught to parents. They should be. And something, one of my goals is right. to somehow implement that there are screenings for this because it's considered rare. They told us that Hudson's, the chance of him having this is one in 25,000, which it seems rare, but when it's your child, it's not rare. No. And when you become part of this cancer family, you're not, it's not rare. No. And so there should be these screenings because most kids, Hudson's a rare situation. Most of them are in and out of ERs, in and out of peds offices, in and out of urgent cares. They're treated for ear infection or viruses or, you know, just all of these, you know, random normal childhood sicknesses. But no, a lot of times it just gets missed. So when they did Hudson's bone marrow biopsy, which is what tells you the type of cancer and, or if it is cancer, and it tells you the percent of cancer that their bones are. Um, Hudson's came back acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which is the most common childhood cancer, thankfully, because there's an actual protocol for this cancer. Um, whereas some there isn't, and some are like a 0% chance survival rate. Oh my gosh. So he's, you know, quote unquote fortunate and has favorable results. But his bone marrow biopsy came back 49% of his bones were cancer. Whereas a lot of times when kids come in, it's a hundred percent of cancer cells in their bones. So imagine that pain and how terrible these children feel because it's just not caught. Well, and is this some, I mean, this is maybe my naivety, but like when you have leukemia, are you born with it essentially? And then like you just progress, like it just progresses. They don't know the cause which is extremely frustrating. I mean, in certain sure. situations there are like um, Down syndrome children are more likely to have leukemia. And if you are a um, like twin of another leukemia sibling, then you can be higher risk. But in Hudson's case, this kid was all he ate, if you know Hudson, all he eats is fruit. So extremely great diet, organic foods, exclusively breastfed. And I breastfed him until he was 15 months old. I mean, so mm-hmm. he just didn't fit yeah. He had everything that, yeah, his diet, I mean, everything, I mean, you, if you are what you eat, he was completely wholesome. We avoided illness exposures. He was fully vaccinated. I mean, there was just nothing that stood out. And that's another problem because childhood cancer, there's no funding. They don't know the cause. They're trying to figure it out. But in the world of, you know, childhood cancer, they only get 4% of funding out of hundred and 96% of funding goes to adult cancers. So you have to think that 4%, that's not just leukemia. That's broken up into all childhood cancers. Oh, wow. There's just not the research for it. That's incredible, which is is heartbreaking because I mean, you know, the kids don't have this lifestyle of drinking and smoking and, you know, making these terrible choices in their body. They just got it. Which is, oh, wow. Yeah. You have these innocent little children that there's just, they don't know. They don't know why, which is so frustrating as a parent. I can't imagine. I, I can't even imagine. So, okay. So then what were, I mean, you talked about your initial reaction and how that, how that felt for you. And you talked about how Hudson didn't really understand. Um, he must've been in pain because his bones did um, contain cancer cells, but it must've been a slow progression for him to, so like you said, he didn't know that he was in pain. He may have just felt like that was normal. So then after the diagnosis, what happened for your, for your family, especially since you have a sweet, you know, three month old baby who is nursing, you know, 12 hours out of the day. What did that look like for your family? Uh, It looked like a tragic 
devastating, chaotic, stressful time. I mean, if you can imagine, you just like fall asleep kind of in this hospital and just hope that you like wake up and it's this terrible nightmare. And I, I'm pretty sure I even asked Kyle one time, like, did, did I dream this? You know, just hoping like, please let this have been a nightmare. And sweet Violet, oh my gosh, yeah. she's the sweetest. She, the best she has ever slept to this day was in the hospital. It's like she knew. And I'm sure our life would have been easier. This sounds terrible, but without a newborn at that time. But when you look back, some of our most happy times in the hospital were because we had Violet. I mean, talk about having some kind of sunshine in this situation. I mean, it's like a, yeah, it's like a juxtaposition of, you know, you're on the verge of possible death and you have this new life. I mean, and what a gift that is. And all, all throughout this, I mean, as odd as it is, it's like a, a beautiful gift to, because now you have a completely different, you know, perspective on life and what a gift that is because it is so rare. And unless you have been in this position that you are in Jessica McCurney, no one knows, only you know, and those other cancer moms who have been through this exact same thing or, you know, things that are similar. So, I mean, what a beautiful gift she was in the midst of that and what a gift you have. And she, I mean, her milestones. So the nurses got to know her. I mean, like they were family. Yeah. They were there for the first time she rolled over. They were there, <laughs> you know, holding her. And so here I am in the hospital nursing Violet because, you know, her needs don't stop just because Hudson needs 150% of us. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, those, that first week in the hospital was pretty rough because you're consenting essentially to allow them to poison your child. But if you don't poison him, then he'll die. So you, I mean, you don't want to make that decision, but you make the decision to allow them to put what looks like gasoline into your child and you just have to watch it. And then as you, you know, as the phases go on, there's these different phases of his protocol, because again, thankfully he has a protocol. Some are more intense than others. And like you and I said in a previous conversation, he received one called doxorubicin, which is known as the red death or the red devil. And so you're watching this red chemotherapy go into your child that you know is going to make him extremely sick. And it does. And some of them, you're signing a consent because it might cause a reaction, an anaphylactic reaction where they stop breathing. And we've been lucky because Hudson has been the strongest human through this all. I think he got sick one time. Oh, wow. He continued to play when he could. I mean... If you want to see the definition of strength and bravery, meet a child who is living through cancer. Like, I mean, the amount of, and, you know, you had talked about resiliency. You had talked about the, you know, different stages of, was it, um, you had to intubate him at one point? Oh, so the NG too. Okay. So he stopped taking his liquid medicine because what, you know, almost two-year-old wants to take like eight syringes of poison and taste that. Yeah. So right. we went to an NG tube, which is a tube that goes down the nose. So we could just put it into the tube and it goes to his belly. But I told them like, my child is not going to leave that alone. So he literally like sat up out of anesthesia and pulled it out. I'm like, okay, this is going to go really well. But he had the NG tube for quite some time. I mean, most people didn't know because we never put pictures up. We didn't share our story. We kept very quiet and private for almost the first year. So only like our very close friends who we could see or family knew he had an NG tube. One time at home, he pulled it out and our options were go to the local ER and hope that they can um, put an NG tube in a kid correctly 
so load up both kids and go to the ER in the night with a kid who doesn't have any immune system or put it in myself. Yeah. Again, thank goodness I work in medicine because I put NG tubes in adults, but it is not the same as putting one in your child. And this is when it is extremely traumatizing for parents because, you know, you have one option to hold down your child and torture him or don't give him his chemo, which you risk relapse or the cancer coming back or take him either to Iowa city in the middle of the night for this or a local ER and hope for the best. So I told him I will put it in and Kyle held Hudson down because he is a strong little child. And as I'm putting the NG tube in him, which is, if you ask an adult, they'll tell you it's one of the worst things they can have done. He's screaming at me. He's just screaming at me like, please, mama, no, mama, help, please, like, oh, don't. He doesn't understand why mom and dad are right. holding him down and torturing him. Right. But do you let your child not get his chemo or do you torture him and then live with that, you know? And the worst part is we had to do that three or four times I had to put an NG tube down him. And the older he gets, the stronger he gets. And he remembers. I know he remembers because he'll, he saw a little um, like string or something one time. Oh no, it was an NG tube we had laying around the house because that's normal. And <laughs> he put it near his, his nose and he said, oh, tubey, tubey in my nose, mama. I mean, he knows. So when people tell me, oh, he'll never remember this. Oh, he remembers that, you know, daddy held him down and mommy put this in his nose. But one day he will understand why Yeah, we went through this. Right. And, you know, he, I'd like to say that's the worst of them, but it's not because he's such a strong-willed child. Um, he had to get what's called a bridle in his nose where it goes up through his septum and holds the NG tube in. Oh my gosh. And they put that in him awake. Oh and Kyle, I couldn't, I did not go in, but Kyle did. He um, told Hudson he'll never go alone. He'll never have to wonder why mommy or daddy wasn't there with him. So that was very hard for Kyle. Oh my gosh. But, but you know, I mean, he to this day, he has never and will never go through anything by himself because, I mean, just no child should have to do that. You know, we think it's hard on us mentally, but imagine your child. So then Jessica, did you feel like you ever experienced or have since then kind of experienced any sort of PTSD as a mother? Definitely. Because it's pretty dramatic. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Traumatic for everyone involved. In my case, you know, you kind of have to desensitize at times because if you were hysterical and emotional during these times, it just, these things wouldn't get done. So you desensitize for this moment so you can accomplish this. And then once that's over and you take a breath and it, you know, it kind of kills you on the inside, but then later on when you, when things are kind of slowing down or when the kids are going to bed and it's a little more quiet and not chaotic, that is when your mind really turns on when you have a moment to think. I mean, any mom, any busy mom knows that feeling, you know, kids go to bed, mind turns on, can't stop thinking. So that is usually when my mind starts to replay these terrible pictures that I have or the scenarios or the awful memories that we have because they don't go away. Those are the ones that are really engraved in there that you'll never forget like the sounds and the words that he said, or just, you know, watching him just hysterically cry because of something you're doing. So I think the PTSD part of it is so real. And 
I don't know that that will ever go away because I won't forget that. And just like, it's hard to slow down because, you know, even if I go to take a shower, I despise taking showers now because there's those minutes where it's quiet. So I will either play a podcast or some kind of music or something or have Kyle come in the bathroom and sit there and talk, talk to me. So I don't have to slow my mind out and think because as soon as I get that moment, I'm back to the terrible memories. And I wish that my mind kind of went to the happier times, which that's probably part of, you know, needing to almost retrain how your mind works. But no, I mean, PTSD for sure for, I mean, Kyle as well. And it's just, I mean, you know, with Hudson, that's just one of the risks that comes along with this that they tell us about early on. Yeah. But as a mom, I don't know if that PTSD ever goes away. So in the beginning when, you know, everything was going so fast and we were having to go through all these terrible things with him and no one really knew other than very immediate family and friends, you know, if people would have like heard these things or saw these things or, you know, just wondered things about our family, it could have been very easy to judge. And so another takeaway for sure would be just do not, do not judge other parents or other moms because you truly do not know what they're going through. And I know we say that a lot. You shouldn't judge others, but I mean, for a year, I'm sure there were a lot of, you know, questions or rumors or thoughts of people, but no one probably truly knew what was going on in our life and the looks and the comments and things like that. Um, they're hurtful. And so just do not judge these people before, you know, and if you have questions and ask, because in this situation, we would rather be asked so others could understand versus, you know, making that assumption and creating this idea in your mind and just judging other moms because being a mom or a parent is hard enough. We don't need others judging us. We just need people to pick us up and help us and you know, just help us survive. So I would just try your hardest not to judge other parents. And if you notice yourself doing that, just try to take a step back and just realize what you're doing. It's not helpful. And there might be a way that you truly could help that parent. So maybe reach out to them instead of judging them. I mean, and you have to have, I mean, as a, as a parent, like we talked about the resiliency um, and you, and you, you know, you said like, even, you know, after, you know, inserting an MG tube, like after a while, you become kind of desensitized to it because, you know, first of all, I mean, you are, you're not just a nurse, you're a nurse practitioner. So, I mean, you are very educated in this, um, in the field of medicine. And so you have that, you have that experience, but then, but then to do that for your child, um, for him to then be resilient and just be able to go on, you know, afterwards and still, I mean, it, I mean, obviously he remembers it, but like, mm-hmm his ability to, well, and to still like, you know, not hold it against you. You know, it's not, and like you said, he'll know because, because he does remember, he'll know later on that it wasn't, um, it wasn't like a form of abuse. It was like, we, baby, we got to do this. We got, we just, we just have to. There's no other option. Right. I mean, he'll sit up afterwards and he, you know, he's been sobbing, but of course we shower him with prizes. He can have anything he wants. Absolutely. Yep. You give him a police car, he forgives you. I mean, people can truly learn from kids. I mean, he forgives you instantly. Yeah. And it's amazing. And so we shower him with plenty of prizes. As he deserves. 
Well, we've been told we don't want to raise a, um, like a bratty or spoiled child. Okay. I mean, I'll why don't you just let me do <laughs> my sum? Oh, the, the, the audacity of some people. Oh, well, you can, you can we talk about that a little bit? Like, let's okay. talk about that. So you want to meet yeah. mama bear, you come my cancer child's bald head. Yeah. So we've had that a few times. Once at Starbucks, guy asked me if I um, chose to shave his head that bald. Like, no, no, I didn't. But I'm going to give you some grace. Like, just give me my coffee so oh I can get gosh. out of here. Another woman stopped Kyle and I. We were playing out in the yard because I was, that's the only place we can go. And she stopped and just looked at us and said, he going to be okay? And Kyle and I were just like, excuse me? She's like, well, I see he doesn't have any hair. Is he going to be oh okay? Oh my goodness. So as I'm trying not to just like, you know, claws out, go after this woman, Kyle just had to handle that one because, it, I mean, we probably have had that happen like five times or so. Well, I mean, just comments like that. And so it always makes you just like stop and think before you say something, especially to someone's child, because these are all grown yeah. adults. We had a child, which it's actually, I mean, kids are so sweet staring at us at the children's hospital. And he goes, mommy, why does he have a tube in his nose? And mom was just mortified, as you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 it's, that's how he gets his medicine. You know, so how, that's how he feels better. Kids just don't, don't right. get that. But they're just so Again, curious. out of innocence with children. Yeah. Adults, good Lord, adults are the worst. I know. The mom was just, you could tell she was like, couldn't get out of there fast enough. But we're, you know, we really reassured her like, no. We get it. Kids are just curious little yeah. things and they're lucky. They're so cute. <laughs> and innocent, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh my goodness. So you have gone through, you know, all of this. Do you want to talk a little bit about his, his treatment? Yeah, sure. His treatment, he has phases. So he has the induction. So that was the worst. That's the first month, which they hope to put them into remission after the first month, um, and Hudson did go into remission, which is good. Which is like a really, really intense chemo. It's, um, he gets a month worth of high dose steroids. So that is when you see kids having what's called like the moon face. So he becomes very round. All they do is eat. And when I say, I mean, that is not exaggerating. He, all he could do is consume food to the point they make themselves sick because they cannot control it. The, another side effect is extreme muscle pain. So he stopped walking. One of the chemos can um, paralyze the vocal cords. Um, so he stopped walking. He stopped talking. He didn't look like himself. He didn't act. He couldn't play. He couldn't even sit up and hold himself. So you almost had to like prop him, which going from a kid who was like, you know, crawling the walls like a month ago. And then you have this child who wants to play and then all of a sudden he can't even sit up on his own so I'm carrying Violet who's three months old carrying Hudson you know up and down the stairs and around the house because you don't want to leave one in the other room because who feels left out so he that is the phase that um we for sure thought Hudson was gone and when we say that we mean the personality this kid that we were just smitten over and in love with we were convinced he was gone which we thought you know at Mm -hmm. least We'll, we'll know the new Hudson. We will love him and it'll be great. Um, we just were like preparing to grieve the old one, which sounds odd, but toward the end, it was right after induction ended, I called Kyle at work at his new job. And I said, something seems off. Like he, 
he hasn't seemed great all month, but he just doesn't seem like he's tracking normal. And I'm really worried, you know, just come home. And he did. And we took him to Iowa City and he was admitted. And I think we were admitted another week that time. All of his lab levels were all off and, you know, more and more blood transfusions. And I remember getting admitted and Mary, the nurse practitioner, who is a total mom, um, she's been doing it forever. I was upset in the room and I was trying to explain to her, you know, he just seems odd. Something seems off. And she said, he's not your little boy. I just, you know, like unconsolably crying to her. And she just kept saying, he's in there. I know it doesn't seem like it and you don't believe me, but I promise you, your little boy is in there and he'll be back. And so she was right. You know, once he started getting to feel a little better and the steroids started to wear off and, you know, we were, I was putting him to bed one night and I heard this sound and, you know, he was kind of smiling because he was kind of coming back around and that sound that sounded like a screech, what, it was a laugh that he was trying to laugh and it kind of came out again. Like he was learning how to talk again and it sounded so dry. Like, you know, he hadn't talked, you know, ever in his life. And I, Kyle came sprinting up the stairs thinking something awful was happening And I just remember him standing there like so relieved that he was okay, but it was just a laugh coming out of him that we, you know, Hudson was in there. And that was just like, we could finally believe that, okay, like this is going to be okay. Hudson's going to come back. We don't have to grieve the loss of our, you know, child before this. And that's when we started noticing, you know, more and more improvements. And we did a lot of physical therapy, but he would like army crawl to try and get to his toys because he wanted to play train so bad. And we would help, you know, he couldn't stand on his own, but we'd help him and he'd be so excited when he could. But carrying your child around who, you know, before would just sprint all day long and you're carrying him, realizing that you're now his caregiver in a different sense than a mother. Because as a mother, you are a caregiver. I mean, you're a lot of jobs, but caregiver's one. But I'm carrying around as as a nurse. So I'm nursing my cancer child, which was... I just remember that kind of hitting me one day as I was carrying him. I wasn't carrying him to, you know, love him and squeeze him. It was because he couldn't walk anymore. And that was an odd feeling. But again, kids are, I mean, I'm just so honored to be his mom because he was determined to play with those cars and he would just army crawl around. And then one day you see him, you know, he could pull himself up again and they are determined to play. They will just do anything to be able to play again. I remember, I I mean, I know that you just said that, you know, I remember very vividly, I, you know, I was his caregiver in the sense that I was his nurse. But do you remember, like, as as parents, we have these moments where we just kind of like soak in, soak in the good or soak in what is, what, like, you know, like, this is a moment that I really want to remember, like squishing my cheek against, against my baby's cheek. Do you have any of those moments while Hudson was in the very thick of it that you just knew that you needed to remember that? Um, Kyle was holding Hudson and I looked down at his head. He was facing the other way. And I remember seeing his just beautiful hair. And I remember being told the day before that I already knew the answer, but I asked Dr. Dickens, our angel of an oncologist, is he going to lose his hair? And he said he would. And I kept it together, even though I already knew the answer. And as soon as he left the room, I was hysterical that Hudson was going to lose his hair even though hair doesn't make you who you are. And he was the cutest little bald boy. That <laughs> but I remember a couple of days in looking at his head and just wanting to feel his hair. 
because I knew it would fall out. And I took, you know, pictures of his hair and just remembered the color and the feel on your yeah. face because I knew that would be going mm-hmm. away. And I just was worried that it, you know, come back a different color or texture or something like that. And so you just want to like, remember that moment, just like you, you know, you hold your baby cause they're going to get bigger. Right. But I just wanted to feel his hair. Yeah. So I, I very much remember that moment. Like I need to just pause and be present right now because I don't want to forget this. Well, moment. because it's a thing of comfort, you know, for moms, like that's how you console your, you know, your baby, you, you know, and you stroke their hair when they go to sleep at night or when they're get when they're hurt, you know, or just, you know, reaching over as they give you a hug. So how incredible that would have been to have just been able to soak up that moment and remember. <sighs> yes. Yes. And I mean, it was just right after that hospital admit that we were talking about, you know, when he started to laugh, they prepared us. It'll, it'll start soon. It'll start falling out and they're wonderful They're They try and prepare parents as much as they can. They know they can't fully prepare you, yeah. but they try to. Right. I mean, how can you, uh, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. do their best. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And they, they know they can't take that away, but they just want parents. They don't want us to be in shock. And I remember we were going up to get Hudson one morning. He woke up and Kyle was going up to get him and I followed behind him and I see Kyle just scrambling in his room. I'm like, what, you know, did he vomit? Like, did something happen? And I looked down and there was the start of it. There was hair covering his pillowcase. So that was hard, but uh, we, you know, we knew it would happen. So I was glad that we knew ahead of time, but that doesn't make it easier seeing your child's hair all over his pillowcase because he had beautiful hair. He still does. And it has to make it like, you know, final. I mean, it's like a physical manifestation of, you know, the treatment that he's undergoing. So it's, it's very final. Mm -hmm. It's just a visual reminder every time you see him, what he's going through, just like the NG tube was. And so then as you know, the weeks went on, you know, I'd kiss him on his head. You just out of habit. You You wouldn't believe how many times you touch your child's hair or, you know, kiss their hair and it would fall off on my lips or, you know, I'd go to like wipe his sweaty little head and it would just be in clumps on my hand or I'd look over and there would be a clump on his little shoulder. And, you know, he doesn't know he, he <laughs> he's care. two years old. He's, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, I was happy. He wasn't, you know, a seven-year-old girl or something that would be devastated to lose their beautiful hair. And he wore hats all the time. So I mean, it didn't really right, matter to him, right. but so he lost quite a bit of it and then he lost it again, you know, so it wasn't any easier the second time around and it completely fell out that time. And you know, uh, for us, he didn't really look like a cancer child, but we look back in pictures and think, oh, you know, he was completely bald. We just, we don't even remember that scene being odd because you just accept your child, however they are. And we just tried to continue our life as best as we could. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we played outside and he had a hat on all the time. And, but now looking back, it's like, you know, he really was, he was so bald and looked like a cancer child. And at the, in those times, though, we didn't think right. that. Well, right, because you're there with him through the thick mm-hmm. of it, through all of it. And then, yeah, you know, looking at him now, he does have his hair and he does, you know, he he looks lively and spirited like you, like you describe. And so, so yeah, you know, as you grow and age and things look different, it would be weird to look back and, you know, like, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah no, this is, this was our reality, you know, not yeah. that long ago. Yes. 
And I mean, even I was looking back at the picture you and I were talking about from that was about okay. a year ago. Yeah, you guys, we need to talk about this. Hang on. Before Jess, before you go any further, um, I'm probably gonna cry as I describe this. So y'all need to friend Jess McCurney, uh, Jessica McCurney on Facebook. Her husband Kyle had taken a picture of one of the one of the times where Hudson was the most sick. He was he was very ill at that time. And it's a picture of Jessica nursing Violet while Hudson is wrapped around her on her back, just hugging his mom. And Jessica is, I mean, totally just being the epitome of a beautiful mother in this moment. She's, she's, she's caring for her daughter. I mean, she's, I mean, you've dedicated your body, your life, your time to your daughter, but you've also dedicated your body, your life and your time to your son. And it's so prevalent in this picture. I mean, and it was taken at the hospital. So can you describe what was going on in that picture? Yeah. If you look at the picture, which is actually probably my favorite picture, and I didn't know Kyle was taking it, but I've never been more thankful that he's taken a picture. And that, you know, I've said like dads or husbands or whoever, like take pictures of these moms because they'll want these pictures later. I mean, that is the definition of that. And so I look exhausted because I am, I look like I haven't showered because I haven't. But in that moment, I I mean, I even remember that moment. Hudson was just hugging me and he was getting, I want to say he was maybe getting a blood transfusion. Um, And he did have his NG tube. And that was during the delayed intensification phase. So, you know, he felt awful. And again, Violet doesn't stop eating food. So you just find a way. And, you know, we've talked about how like incredible moms are. And people say to me a lot, like, I could never do it. You, you could. I would have said the same thing, but you find a way. You know what your kids need, and you will do whatever you have to do, whether that means you are exhausted or whatever. You find a way, and you find that little extra bit of energy or whatever it is, and you give that and to you- them. And yeah, you, I mean, as an example of that, I remember you talking about how, you know, you, you know, it was in the middle of the night and, you know, Violet would wake up and you had to nurse her back to sleep. And then you lean over Hudson's bed and you'd like be falling asleep, standing up. Yeah. Kyle actually reminded me of that. I was like leaning over his crib because, you know, I mean, what child wants to sleep in a hospital mm-hmm. crib? And with all of us in the same room, so I'm leaning over his crib, falling asleep. Violet wakes up, go over, you have to nurse her back to sleep because that's the only way she'll go back to mm-hmm. sleep. Yep. <laughs> yep. I know. I know all about that. <laughs> and so I get her back to sleep and then I go back over to the crib and you just, you literally fall asleep standing up, which you don't think you could ever do that, but you do. You Turns out up. you can. Yeah. You we have found that, that threshold to cross. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> But it's just, I don't even know, looking back now, even like, I don't know how we made it through those months because we were so sleep deprived. I mean, we still are, but in those times, you know, you're just so in shock and in this fight or flight mode, you just, it's total survival. And and it's like pure unfiltered love. There's, there's nothing else. I mean, isn't that incredible? The amount of love that a parent has for her child a a mother has for her child like indescribable mm -hmm. that's how you got through it I I mean I kept telling Kyle I wish so badly I would have cancer 
I would have cancer and if I could take it away from Hudson. And he, I mean, he said the same thing, like, right. why couldn't this just have happened to us? And he could be perfectly healthy and happy and not in pain. You just want that. So you want cancer for yourself so well, bad. That's gotta be another, it, feel, it has to feel like an awful, like dirty game because, you know, adults, like we talked about, adults are the worst. And if anyone deserves cancer, it like, no, no one deserves cancer, but like, you know, compared to a child who is innocent, no risks, they, you know, they just want to play and there's adults who abuse their body and take it for granted and, you know, put toxins into themselves. And then there's this child who bad luck didn't do a thing. And, you know, I was just reading where if a child gets cancer and dies, that's like 70 years of life lost. Whereas an adult cancer, it might be five years lost or 10, but they lose their entire lifespan because of cancer. And a lot of times it's not always the cancer that kills them. It's the treatment right? because the treatment is so aggressive and invasive aggressive and complicated. And yeah, which is, you know, lack of funding and research. Wow. They don't have any new meds for kids. They just are using old medications, old treatments. That's incredible to know and understand because I, I didn't, I for one didn't know that, that there's so little money dedicated to funding research for childhood cancer. Oh no, I wouldn't know. I mean, I didn't either. And I work in medicine. I had no idea until you talk to these oncologists who are so passionate about these children and they fight so hard for these kids and advocate for them. And, you know, Kyle and I just hope that one day we will be those parents lobbying for our kids and mm-hmm. we will have an impact and fight for them and be their voice. And kids deserve yeah. more. They You've do. done an excellent You've done a wonderful job. I'm so glad that you're sharing this because it's incredible. It's, it's, I mean, it's heartbreaking and people don't like to talk about childhood cancer because it's so sad and you see what these kids go through. It's not what the commercials show, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. We were there. The nurses are wonderful and do everything in their power to put a smile on those kids' face. We absolutely adore our nurses, but it's not a bunch of happy kids running around the hospital. It's children who are moaning down the hallway in pain or kids like Hudson are screaming. They are so terrified why their parents are allowing these people to do that to them, you know, and those aren't the stories that get shared and that's normal. That's normal cancer life for kids. And, but again, going back to us being the fortunate ones and learning all this perspective, I mean, we have learned as parents, the true meaning of fear you think that you know fear until there is, and it's not just cancer, but when you realize that there's a chance that your child's going to die anytime, you know fear. You've never been more petrified in your life. And we now know that fear. And we don't wish that for other parents. I mean, it's terrifying when a child has a you know fever from an ear infection or a virus or anything. That's awful. Mm-hmm. And parents say a lot to me like, we hate to complain to you, but no, I mean, it's awful when your kid's sick, you feel for them and you don't ever want your child to be in pain or upset ever. But going back to perspective, we have been admitted numerous times at the hospital. And some of the times we're there, we see these families come and be admitted. And cause you know, you just like walk the hallway and you see these families and there's families that come in with newborn babies with cancer, or you see these families that come in and 
you know, it's end of life and you see these parents, we see them leave and they don't leave with their babies. They came with them, but they don't go home with them. And so it's like, thank God that we get to take our child home and that he is doing so well and has, you know, favorable results, as they would say, because other parents are not that fortunate and they would kill to be in Kyle and I's shoes, which is right. cool. And we just go for those parents. Right. But I just wish that people knew more about the true, you know, the true life of these cancer families, because it is not all this like smiling and, you know, cheerfulness. It's really awful times that you don't ever want to speak yeah. of. And we've had some really great experiences through it because we, you know, had such a wonderful amount of support. So he's experiencing, or he's experienced some things that other kids will never get that chance, but I would rather never have had those chances. Mm -hmm. Right. Live this normal life. For right. Them. So then Jessica, what, what are some of the, the symptoms or signs of childhood cancer that parents can be aware of and, you know, should look for? Um, PTI, like I discussed, low grade fevers. Sometimes their belly will be a little swollen, which I mean, what kid doesn't have like a little pot belly sometimes? All that mac and cheese. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, their appetite might decrease some, okay. which that's like a toddler. I mean, one day they eat, one day they don't. If you notice abnormal bruising, that can also be a sign, which he didn't have. I mean, some kids are covered in bruises. He didn't have that. He had like one here on his forehead that I thought was odd and one on his toe that I thought was odd, but they also sometimes will be like just overly tired or like just over in general, say they like don't feel well. Some of them have bone pain, but again, it can be growing pains. So you can see how it can be so confused with toddlerhood. It's all it's right. Toddler. Yes. And it just seems like they have a virus and sometimes, you know, it'll, they'll improve some seems like the virus goes away and then boom because they have no immune system, they're back in the ER. And in our case, in a lot of you know moms that I've met, they struggled with their, their children just having like some weird abnormal blood results, but it was never followed up. Or they were like, come back in three months. Well, in three months, you're 100% cancer. And that's and, how quick it moves. Oh, oh, yes. So in his specific kind, it's very quick to, I shouldn't say spread because they're his and his bone, but I mean, multiply the cancer cells. It's um, like one of the most rapid spreading. So yeah. how, I mean, I just am so thankful for Hudson, for you to be able to identify that. Um, and you said that the petechiae is like a, like red spot. It looks like you took a little like black or purple Sharpie and made a few little dots on his forearm. And when I, I mean, I even took a picture and I showed people and they're like, mm, that kind of just looks like maybe a rash. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is petechiae. And so but I've had friends who their kids had petechiae and, you know, thank God it was, it was a virus, but you, you just have to advocate for these kids and be their voice. And we've talked about this mom instinct. I mean, there is a mother's intuition and never doubt a mother's intuition because not only like, do they need some validation because they're scared usually, but I had that feeling and it was so strong that I would have fought and pushed until I had those labs drawn because I just felt it in my well, And you'd rather be seen as a crazy person than to not treat something. Yes. And 
you get to the point, you just don't care what people think right. about you. And I, <laughs> that just comes like, you know, as you age and you mature and you get put in these situations, you just don't care. Right. I mean, there's far worse things to worry about. Other people's perception is probably at the low, like low point of your list. Yeah, totally. Just X off. Yeah. I mean, we have probably irritated, you know, close friends and family and it's like, we just don't care. His life trumps everything. So yeah, (laughs) you can be angry. That's fine. I know it's upsetting. We're upset. I'm sorry. It upsets you. Kind of sorry. Right. Right. So good for you because yeah, that (laughs) business of dealing with people is so, so how is Hudson today? Um, he is really doing great. I mean, he does have his days. He is still on chemotherapy every single day. Okay. So also this is information that I didn't know. And so talk about this, Jessica, talk about it. So his treatment is not just, you know, until the cancer is in remission. It's for five years. Yeah. So yeah, he won't be considered cured until five years. Okay. But he will receive chemo until... May of 2022, because the treatment for his is three years. Okay. So that's a okay. Long so time. three years treatment, not considered cured until five years. So he he still undergoes chemotherapy every single oh, yeah. day. Mm-hmm. And then every Monday he gets another chemo added onto that, and then every three months he gets um, another chemo put into his port, which is a little device under his chest that they can give him medicine or blood or platelets or whatever through. We go in once a month and they, what's called access his port. So again, he's on a bed and they um, have to put a large needle into his chest, into the port to access it. Um, And then that can go straight to his heart. But he, so he gets that every three months and then into his spine, he has to get another chemotherapy. So it's called a lumbar puncture and they, um, put it into his spine and they did find cancer cells in his, unfortunately. And so that goes throughout the spinal fluid into the brain. And so he had to have some, um, an increase in lumbar punctures in the beginning to make sure they treated the cancer cells in his spinal fluid. Um, but he will still get that every three months and that's harsh on him. Imagine a needle going into your spine and chemotherapy and it hurts for adults. It's sore, but Hudson comes home and he now, you know, as a three-year-old does lumbar punctures awake, which is like incredible. Who can Oh, do he that? does them without like oh, anesthesia? Yeah. Now he does. Oh, God bless America. Oh yeah. We tell him we're giving him a big hug and Dr. Dickens is going to give him a big hug and he gets to watch the iPad. Absolutely. And gets all the prizes, all the, prizes, all the iPads, all the things. But we're like so blessed with such an amazing team that they are so quick and so good at what they do. And they just love Hudson. And they take such great care of him. And as soon as it's done, he pops up and he's like ready to run down the hall. He comes home. He's on the swing set. I mean, you're just like trying to be like, no, Hudson, like, let's sit down. No, no. Hard no. pass, mom. I got plan to do. So he, yeah. so he's, you know, he's after that, um, after that first month, you know, he's, he's, kind, he's slowly kind of regained his personality and you feel like you have your boy again. There was a relapse scare, meaning the cancer came back um, in January of this year. And if anyone reads Caring Bridge, they'll know how awful it was. He got a virus, which I mean, nothing crazy, but 
his immune system, it completely killed. He had an immune system of what they said an HIV patient would have. And we thought it was relapse because it's all the same symptoms. And then he really, they couldn't get his fevers under control. And he was running 107 degree fevers. Oh my gosh. And 107. And he didn't seize. I mean, he was pretty lethargic. And you can imagine a kid with 107 degree fever. I feel terrible when I'm like 99.9 and and 107. And so this virus was um, pretty much, I mean, filling his lungs with fluid. And they were just in a hurry to find out why, because he was tanking and um, he was on oxygen. They were preparing the ICU and to put him on a ventilator and heading into what's called like DIC, which is where they bleed out. And they were giving him albumin transfusions and blood transfusions and platelet transfusions so he wouldn't bleed out. But the platelets, when you have fevers, it can totally kill off your platelets. And they do not keep ibuprofen or Motrin on the oncology floor. Like that's like a no-no because it also can cause your platelets to go down. They were giving him platelet transfusions so they could give Motrin so they could get his fever to come down from 107. So just that was terrible. But again, the doctors are incredible. They figured it out. They treated him and he's doing so much better than he was back in, you know, January, February. But again, that fear comes out that, you know, I'm listening to these terms. They're starting to use like these abbreviated medical words. And you know them. I know what they're, when they're saying DIC, I think they're talking about our child bleeding out. And I don't tell Kyle because I don't want him to know what this means, even though he's done such an amazing job at understanding all these, you know, medical terms now. But I'm thinking these are a lot of new terms and I don't want him to know what this means right now because they're just talking about how critical he is, but you know, they saved him again. And, you know, seeing your child in respiratory distress and the doctors calling at 3am to check on him because they're at home watching his vitals, you know, that's, that's bad. (laughs) But again, kids resilient, they keep going. They're amazing. And they, their bodies are, I mean, wow. I I can't even, isn't it incredible? You know, you look back on the Yes. And I look at these pictures of him and I remember feeling his skin when he was 107 and they just feel like they are on fire and you can't do anything. You cannot, I mean, you give Tylenol, it wears off in an hour for him and you just have to wait for the next three hours and you just watch him in more and more respiratory distress and he can't breathe. So he can't talk. He can't eat because that's too much on his body. So you're just, again, watching this child of yours disappear and planning for him to be on a ventilator and possibly die again. So you're reliving all of this fear. Meanwhile, Violet is older now. She's mobile, you know, tugging on like cords and oxygen tubing. And, but you don't leave her at home. You know, we just didn't feel comfortable. You want, you know, you don't want to leave one child behind. And through all of this, we have just all stayed together all the time. I mean, we've just learned how to thrive, the mm-hmm. four of us. Yeah, I mean, that's your, you just do, you do what you have to mm-hmm. do. Right. Oh my goodness. So I, just the amount of growth that you've had to, you've been forced into is really offensive. And like, like, aren't you just like, you know what, God, that's enough. I mean, that's quite enough. We could have just like dealt with like some pneumonia. Right. I could, I could deal with that. Okay, speaking of viruses, so can you talk a, little, a bit about 
what it's like currently for you with this pandemic? You know, it hasn't changed our lives a ton because for the past year, we've not really gone into grocery stores. We can't go to all these normal toddler activities of gymnastics and, you know, bounce houses or trampoline parks or any of that. So we've become very disappointed, I will say, in people who complain about wearing masks or accuse people of being selfish for wishing others would Mm. mask. So we've, I mean, we're so used to sanitizing and cleaning like all day, every day, it seems like that that part hasn't changed, but it is a wake up to see how selfish and childish people can be. You know, when we mask, obviously we're protecting Hudson, but I work in healthcare. I could be exposed to COVID. I wear a mask, not because I'm compromised, but because what if I was at work and then I don't want to get you sick. So do something as a kind human. Mm -hmm. And if anyone doesn't want a mask, just please mask thinking about our child who he can't protect himself. I wish he could. I so wish he could, but he can't. And there's so many others like that. And we just have to be a good human and just have some compassion and empathy for these people and just work together as humans and just do the right thing even if it just kind of sucks a little bit for you. Yeah, amen. Oh, <laughs> sang it. Like, sang it, girl. For real. Be kind. Think of people who are not as fortunate as you to have such a great immune yeah. system. You know, they didn't choose that most often. Absolutely. So, Jess, you've talked... Say what? And wash your hands. Absolutely. Definitely. Don't be gross. <laughs> Don't be gross. Ew. <laughs> so, you've talked a bit about what it's like to, you know, how, how motherhood has kind of changed for you. Do you have any different, do you have anything else that you want to share on your, on your, on your perspective of motherhood? I would say, and Kyle and I were not those kind of people that didn't take things for granted before. We were so thankful. Our child was healthy. We both had jobs. You know, we were, we were doing fine. We didn't have reasons to complain. We were thankful. It has made us even more aware of how grateful we should be. You know, we've seen other kids much worse than Hudson. And I would say as a mom, I would just say to other moms, I know that kids can be so difficult sometimes to the point like you're losing your mind. And I catch myself being extremely frustrated. I mean, two toddlers are frustrating. Lots of prayer. <laughs> but <laughs> Lots of prayer and restraint and self-control. Yeah, yeah. But even on those terrible, terrible days, just like look at your child and just be thankful and love them. Even when they're like coloring on your walls, because some of those parents would kill to have their child, their children back coloring on walls and ruining their house and Mm -hmm. being naughty. You know, it could always be so much worse. And we have learned that. And as a mom, I think I've also learned that moms are so amazing. You know, we talk about, these cancer children being, I mean, they're just incredible. Mm -hmm. Look what they go through, but so are moms. I mean, obviously, I mean, dads are as well, but I mean, just talking to you as another mom, moms are just warriors and they deserve so much credit. And I don't always take the credit, but there are times I should, I am so proud of how I have taken this on as a mom and handled it most of the times. And it's just amazing seeing what a mom can do. And I see other moms do it too on the cancer floor. And 
in the community of cancer moms that I've met, you just realize how strong women can be for their kids and how selfless and like, just go moms because it's hard. It's hard being a mom without my kid having cancer. Add that on top. And it's like, just pat on the back. Yeah, absolutely. I'm patting you on the back virtually. (laughs) Absolutely. But you just learn to just like embrace that and accept those compliments sometimes and just let it sink in. Like, yeah, like I, I am doing good. Thank you. Yeah. And not seeking, not seeking outside, you know, gratification for, you know, doing that, but knowing I like that. I like that. Just talking, thinking about like, you know what? I do. I do well. I do well by my children. Mm -hmm. I do well by my family. Having that, um, knowing that self-talk as hard as you possibly can deep down and just knowing you are doing that. You know, I, there's not an ounce more I can give. If I needed to, I would find that ounce. You just give them everything and then some, and you know, you are just trying as hard as you can to keep him alive and to keep Violet thriving and to just maintain some kind of life for them. So go mom. Yeah. Yeah. Go you. (laughs) I mean, like, I mean, I know that you've said like, yeah, I know you, you would do it if you feel like you don't know how, you know, cancer moms do it. They do it, but because you, because you must, but just be encouraged. And know that you are a wonderful human being. Thank you. I mean, you know, I'm trying. I mean, you're all you can do. (laughs) That's the truth. Some of us are really, really um, nailing it. Some of us are needing some extra encouragement. So this is good. (laughs) But you know, just just love other moms and support them. You know, I've had instances where you think that someone would be incredibly supportive and they just aren't. And I mean, that's no fault of theirs. They just, some people cannot handle this situation and that's fine. But then you have these other people, like people from Atumwa that have just done so many wonderful things for our family and reached out and you just learn this support and people who don't even know us. Mm-hmm. I mean, these strangers that have given our family so much and people who have dropped meals off for us that don't know us or diapers or just groceries. Cause they know we can't go in a grocery store and raised money for our family for the medical bills that pile up very quickly. And just, it's incredible. The support which leads me to my final two questions for you, Jessica. So what would your encouragement or advice be to someone who is going through what you have gone through? So if I am talking to another parent, let's say, that has, you know, a mm-hmm. sick child, um, I would say learn to accept help. It was very difficult for Kyle and I to accept help at the beginning because we were not used to that. We were used to doing it all by ourselves and we were fine and we, we had it. But once we started to learn how to accept help, and my neighbor actually told me that. She said, you know, once you learn to accept it, you'll then later on be able to pay it forward and show someone else how to accept this help. And just it just keeps it going. Just you help someone, they help someone. So just these moms out there, these families, just, just accept the help. People truly want to help. I mean, they don't want anything in return. They just want to make your day or your life a little bit easier. And we will not forget anyone. We could tell you everyone who has dropped a coffee off at our door that made our day 
or that sent us a card or their daycare colored us, you know, a bunch of pictures and sent our way or just any of those things. It's just accept the help for sure. And don't feel bad upsetting people. If you're advocating for your child, I am pretty blunt with people, you know, and if you're not going to follow rules, you know, you, you don't need to see them. So, and you know, the other people on the other end need to respect the parents because it's hard. It's hard telling family and friends these things. So just give them grace, respect what we say, and just know that you can get through it. It's going to feel like you cannot get through it or you cannot live another minute or go another minute without sleep, but you can. Like that strength is in there. It will come out when it needs to. So just have faith in yourself and your family and your child and You'll learn so much about your child. So just be there for them. You know, they don't need toys and all of this stuff. They just need love. Love your child. Well, and you talk about the resiliency of children, you know, with childhood cancer, but holy cow, the resiliency of families affected by childhood cancer. I mean, that's substantial. I mean, so many kids and you don't realize how many are truly affected until you join this cancer family. Right. Right. And talking to this parent, like you and I were talking about before, be prepared for the rest of the world to kind of go on without you because we had, you know, talked yeah, that yes, yes, yes. That is something we still struggle with and right. still are trying to like wrap our head around, you know, when we, the first diagnosis or when the diagnosis first happened, everyone else, it was like a shock to them. So of course, like the texts and the groceries and all of this is, you know, that first week, that we are diagnosed, tons of support. It's overwhelming support, which is wonderful. People are devastated for you. But then a month goes by, three months goes by, the support definitely drops down. And you kind of notice that everyone else is like going on in life and their kids are going to preschool and they're vacationing and they're getting to like leave the yard or take their kids inside a grocery store and they get to sit in a cart, but you can't do that you know, everyone else just kind of like goes on and your world stops, which is very hard to, you know, digest that, but it's sad and you feel awful for your children and for yourself that you want to do all these things and you're not able. So I would just prepare for that because that's difficult. And that's, I think probably whether your child has cancer or, you know, there's a death for you, it stops and you don't get over it in a month, but everyone else kind of doesn't get over it, but they're just, their life goes on and yours doesn't. Well, and it has to feel very unfair. Because it is. I mean, for our family and all the other kids, it is unfair and none of them deserve it, but you know, we'll get through it. We'll do what we have to do. It's going to be great when it's finished. You know, we are going to somehow through all this darkness, we're going to see the light and we're going to make changes and we're going to be involved in this world and advocate for these children And, you know, we just have these plans for when our life settles down and when we know he is done with his treatment, we have these goals, what we want to do. We want to bring awareness. We want things to be implemented and, you know, we want to work with our team and we just have all this inspiration from these kids. So something good will come from this in Hudson's name. He has had to go through this. We will make sure that his journey is shared. He deserves his story to be told Mm -hmm. and for others to be aware of this is this is reality this is our world and this is what our kids are going through and they don't deserve it yeah bringing about that awareness that is so i mean 
people are aware of childhood cancer, but I doubt that anyone is aware of how long the treatment is. And I doubt how long, I doubt that people know how, um, how little funding is, uh, is granted toward that research. So, okay. So Jessica, last couple things here, what would your advice or um, encouragement be to support people of those affected by childhood cancer? Bring them coffee. Number one, <laughs> bring them coffee, yeah. drop it on their doorstep. Cause likely you can't come in because germs bring them food because they're too exhausted to even think about cooking or eating. They would rather just go mm-hmm. to sleep. So whether it be bought food or homemade food, it is wonderful not having to cook. Our dear friend, Sherry single-handedly fed us. I bet for the first six months. Wow. Yeah. And this is a woman who is battling cancer herself. So again, go her. Like <laughs> These people are incredible. So, you know, bring them food in after a month or three months or a year, still, still check in on them because they're, you know, on social media, or if you talk to us once every four weeks, we probably seem great, but you know, there's still struggles every single day, every day, there is some kind of struggle. And so just check in on them. You know, I get messages from good friends, even if it's once a week and it's like, oh, you know, they thought of me. That was really great that they thought of our family. So it's just check in on these people who you think might be struggling. And we understand you guys have your lives of your own. So, oh my goodness, please tend to your family, but say hi, say hi to those people and let them know they're not forgotten. I mean, just love them, even though their life kind of stops for a few years, remember them. And just know that their life will probably never be mm-hmm. the same. So don't expect those people to be the same. I mean, Kyle and I are not the same people from a year and a half ago at all. I mean, in the long run, that'll be great for us. You know, growing as a couple and as parents, as just individuals, you know, me as a mother, it, it'll be good, but they will not be the same people. And you shouldn't be. Yeah. So uh, that's... Yeah. Miracles will come from And this. you've had... Um... You know, actually, the first time that I even knew that Hudson was diagnosed with cancer was I had seen a Facebook post about the law enforcement in your town that had come and, you know, done a parade for him. So can you talk about that? Yeah. So Hudson is police obsessed (laughs) all day, every day. And the local law enforcement heard like, how much he just loves police. They have done multiple parades just for Hudson around our house because they knew we couldn't leave. I'm, I mean, I'm talking like eight to 12 vehicles, like canine units or fire trucks, ambulance. I mean, it's like, you'd think that there's some kind of like tragic situation happening in our house. And the first time, like our neighbor ran out and thought something terrible was happening, but it was just a parade. <laughs> and they still do. I mean, one of the um, Scott County Sheriff just stopped by after the bad storm just to make sure we were okay. Asking if he could bring Hudson some ice cream, Hudson and Violet some ice cream sometime. Um, wanted to see if Hudson wanted to hop in the car and turn the lights on. You bet. Yeah. <laughs> not going to turn go that down. Him. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but that's not a rare occurrence. I mean, they stop by or drive by all the time just to check on him. And the police have raised money for us with no shave November and even back in Atumwa, law enforcement there, sheriff Mm -hmm. there. And they, you know, when there is a child that is sick, people just come out of the woodwork and you just realize what a great community you have back home and here. And I mean, 
shout out Brian Will Harbor. Um, just wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna make sure he gets access to it. He um just messaged me. I haven't talked to him in probably ten years. Right. So, I was like, I like name drop, name right, drop. Right. It's just Hi, letting Brian. I know. I know. Like, <laughs> stay safe. <laughs> Serving overseas yeah. and just wanted to let me know that him and his team, they have Hudson's back. His support has now gone worldwide. And it's just amazing what the law enforcement and the military and, you know, all these families who have so much of their own going on with fears and the world right now, but they take time out of their day to check on our, you know, our children. And it's, it's so heartwarming. You just just love them. So, and I also want to thank, I mean, just before I forget anyone has ever donated blood or plans to because blood donors are one of the reasons that Hudson is alive. He got three blood transfusions the first night and multiple platelet transfusions and multiple since then. And without those blood donors, I mean, there's, there's just no substitute. He wouldn't live. So people who take that, you know, hour out of their, you know, their life once every eight weeks, like just know that like we see you and we thank you and we appreciate you and just thank you for keeping our child alive. You know, you never know when your child is going to need a blood transfusion and you just hope that there's enough supply because, you know, even when COVID happened, there was such a short supply and you just hope that if there's a shortage, it's not your child who needs blood or your family member. So thank you to everyone who has donated. Like we just, we can't say thank you enough. We're just yeah. forever grateful for blood. Yeah. Bank. And that's something that I think is so overlooked or people get annoyed by the, the blood bank calling them and, but it's so important. Yes. I mean, I, I had never even tried to donate blood before like this year. Oh, I really? Yeah. You just don't. I, I had no right, you know, right. Right. And now it's like, oh my gosh, you know, these people out there and these kids, you wouldn't believe how many blood transfusions happen every single day. Yeah. And they needed to survive. Most, most blood transfusions go to cancer patients, not trauma or things like that. It's, it's cancer patients. Wow. So thank you for, for donating. Anyone's donated and plans to, and we're just so grateful. Yeah. That's just wonderful. And a great reminder for everyone to donate. Yes, Absolutely. Please. Okay. Wow. Jessica, uh, <laughs> so many highs and lows here. <laughs> I've just wept a lot tonight, which is good. It's cathartic. It's good. Do you have anything else that you just really feel passionate about that you really want for people to know? I just want people to keep perspective. Their life could always be worse. Be grateful for everything that you have and love your children. You know, that's all these children need is love and be a kind human, support the, you know, our community and our friends and family and strangers because they need help. And if everyone could receive just a percentage, a small percentage of the support that we have received, it would just be a better world. So just like take a moment to be grateful and kind to other humans and have some selfless moments and just don't be a butthead. Please don't. (laughs) Final thoughts. When mama bear comes out. You know what? Jess, I remember in high school thinking that you would be terrifying to be on the other side of, like if you were mad. Thankfully, I don't think you were ever mad at me. I always loved spending time with you. But like, I, like, for real, God help the soul who 
you, you, you can do it. Like you are a passionate individual and you are intelligent and a strong, independent person. So, I mean, it's really just been such a (laughs) gift for your family and for your son. And I mean, your line of work that you are in, you have saved your son's life. I, I, I firmly believe. And you have been given this gift and I know Mm. that you have been given this gift, although it, it seems like it's not a gift. I really believe, I firmly believe Jess, that you have been given this gift of experience to share and to empower and to encourage and to educate. I completely agree. I mean, it, it was not a coincidence and you know, our family believes that and something positive and wonderful will come from this. It sucks right now, but it, you know, the suckiness will end and we will do something great. Mm. That's yeah, our goal. absolutely. Absolutely. I have complete faith in that. You are a wonderful human being and so is your husband and so is your sweet son, Hudson, and your beautiful daughter, Violet. Yeah. Thank you. Jessica, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. I cannot wait for listeners to hear this so that they can know and just experience just a little bit of what your life has been like and, um, and how to help those who are affected by childhood cancer. I'm so happy to finally share more of that side of the story. Not so much the medical side, but more the mom side that not many people see or hear or can experience. Yeah. It's a whole different side, but I'm very happy to. And like I said, just spreading the awareness and showing people how strong and amazing kids are. And I'm just so honored to be their mom. Yeah. They're just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so are you, your children are, and you are. Yeah. Just yes. Pat that back. (laughs) Pat it. Absolutely. All right. So thank you so much for being here guys. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the B podcast. We will catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of the B podcast please consider giving to the McCurney family as they continue the fight for Hudson's life every single day. If you have been blessed in some way, please consider paying it forward and blessing the McCurneys by visiting this show's description below and clicking on any of the links to support their family. There are multiple ways to give and support Hudson in his fight against cancer. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Your support makes it possible for these incredible stories to be told and to be heard. And if you like what we stand for, share some love with us by rating and reviewing our pod. The more rates and reviews we have, the better chance these stories are heard around the world and help others heal. Again, thanks for listening. I'm Cami Milliken, and this has been The Beat Podcast.